North Pole Hotline, Mrs. Claus here. My holiday shopping list is so big, I can't wait for Black Friday. Get to Old Navy's biggest sale of the year starting tomorrow. Old Navy? Beat the crowds for 50% off your entire purchase. 50% off? Plus, this Friday only, Old Navy's famous cozy socks are just a buck in stores. Old Navy's getting $1 for every pair sold up to a million dollars to boys and girls clubs. So I can do good, look good, and get 50% off your entire purchase at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1121 to 1123. Exclusions apply. See store for details. Cozy socks valid 1123 in stores only. Limit 10. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Dr. Low Radio. I am your host, Dr. Lauren Noel, naturopathic doctor down here in San Diego at Bloom Natural Health. To learn more about me, check out bloomnaturalhealth.com and drlaurennoel.com. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. Once again, if you missed last show, it was two weeks ago with Dr. Thomas O'Brien. We were talking all about autoimmune disease. I strongly recommend if any one of you is struggling with autoimmune disease or even have a history of it in your family or if you just have some weird symptoms, you don't really know what's going on, I really recommend to listen to that show and and listen to it in its entirety. It could be life-saving for you. Uh, Tonight's show, really, really excited to have a personal friend on the show as well as a very, very talented author. She just released her new book called Practical Paleo. We have Diane Sanfilippo on the show. Really excited about that. But first, just want to give you a couple announcements before we bring her on the air. So next week's show is going to be really great for any of you interested in naturopathic medicine. If this is something that just really vibes with you, I recommend to really listen to it. I'm going to be interviewing uh, Dr. Pamela Jean. She is a naturopathic doctor who just wrote the book Healing Matters. And it really takes things back to the roots and really getting into what is health, how do we really promote health, and how do we treat disease from a naturopathic mindset. It's going to be really great. I'm looking forward to it. She was one of my professors when I was in school. I took this class called Nature Cure, and it was all about using natural therapies at home that you can use to stimulate your body's own innate immune system so that you can be healthy because, really, we're designed to be healthy. Our bodies have an innate ability to be healthy, and we just get in the way. So really about identifying those causes, removing them, and just helping the body to heal itself. And so if you're interested in any of what I just said, check out the show next week. That's with Pamela Jean. So on to tonight's show, Diane Sanfilippo is a certified nutrition consultant who specializes in blood sugar regulation and digestive health. She writes for her popular health blog, balancedbites.com. I'm sure a lot of you guys have checked out her website. It's great. Tons of information, really good recipes, and all kinds of great stuff to read. So check that website out. She works with clients one-on-one, and she also teaches paleo nutrition seminars nationwide, and she has a top-rated weekly podcast in iTunes, Balanced Bites Podcast. And, of course, she is the author of the fabulous Practical Paleo, which I must say I have had this book in the IV lounge at the clinic, and the patients have been flipping through it. And, of course, usually they say, oh, this is so pretty, first off, because it's a gorgeous book, but they get all kinds of great information out of it. So really happy to have that as an addition to what I can use with my patients. So, Diane, thanks for writing the book, and welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah. It's cool. I'm used to listening to you on your show and talking to you, you know, on the cruise and at the Ancestral Health Symposium. So it's nice to actually have you as a guest. And congratulations on writing the book. You must be really tired and also really proud of yourself. Um, yeah, I'm actually really excited. It's it's um, it's become very real ever since the book got into my hands. Uh, I guess it was almost two weeks ago at, uh, at the CrossFit Games when I got my first copy and was able to show people, and that's when it just really, that's when everything became better, 
about it because I was yeah. so stressed working on it. And then all of a sudden, all of that just kind of went away when people started, as you said, you know, flipping through and they're like, wow, this is amazing. And the response I've gotten has been so great. And I just can't wait for more people to get it. After no kidding. Well, it's not even released yet. And there's already such hype no. about people wanting to get their hands on a copy. So what kind of led you up to writing this book? Tell us a little bit about, you know, your background. Um, well, I, you know, I was somebody who was an athlete and, like, never really thought much about nutrition. And then after I stopped being an athlete in college and gained a bunch of weight, not paying attention to my food, um, I started to tune back into what I was eating at a job where um, I did some weight washers. I never, like, signed up for it, but I had some coworkers who were doing it. I started reading labels and kind of getting into all that and eventually lost weight but never really changed my health. Um, still had a lot of digestive problems. My, uh, I had sinus infections maybe every six weeks. My vision was constantly deteriorating. You know, every time I went in for a checkup, my prescription would get stronger. Uh, dental health, that was really not that great, you know, getting, you know, having cavities filled very regularly. So a lot of different things about my health just weren't fantastic. And Eventually, when I, you know, I lost the weight and I was I was in good shape, you know, according to most people. But when I got out to California, uh, this was, you know, probably eight years ago now. About a year into that, I was working with a trainer who studied at the Czech Institute, and I know you're pretty familiar with Czech Institute, and um, they teach a lot about holistic health. And so their nutrition plan basically teaches people to avoid gluten and include things like coconut oil and all the sort of counterculture that we basically grew up and, and, you know, were raised believing was not true. So uh, when I got introduced to that, it just kind of, it kind of sparked me and just looking for what was optimal. I knew that, you know, all the health problems in my family, whether it was cancer or heart disease or some autoimmune conditions, I knew there was a way that um, I could do something about preventing it. And when I started to think about nutrition being an element of that, it just really started to drive my passion to find out, you know, what were the best possible answers. So the whole, like, gluten-free thing was familiar to me, uh, avoiding soy and dairy. And after a few years of kind of working on on those things for myself and, and having a meal delivery business, at one point um, I decided this was something I was so passionate about I wanted to help people do it and just make it easier for them. But about six months after starting that, I realized I wasn't teaching people what they needed to learn about, you know, what was the right thing to eat and how to do it for themselves. So I went back to school and studied holistic nutrition in Berkeley, California. Uh, seems like an appropriate place to study holistic nutrition. <laughs> and um, really learned a lot more about how food works in the body and just kind of took it to that next level. And I was um, probably about halfway through the first year of that two-year program when I went to a Rob Wolf seminar. And it was just a very... Uh, I don't know, I guess it was just a fortunate event, you know, that I went to his seminar. I probably was only involved with CrossFit for about two or three weeks before that seminar came to town. And, wow. you know, it was just, a, yeah, I mean, it was just like the stars aligned and I ended yeah. up in that classroom, front row, eating my, like, you know, lamb burger and kale at the <laughs> seminar. And he's like, what do you have there? <laughs> So it was just really funny, and, and that was, you know, the first time I met Rob, and the whole thing just kind of snowballed from there, and, and my experience just really all fed into 
what I wanted to do with this book. So that's kind yeah. of the that's actually the short version. <laughs> so how did you find that, that this really whole is. way of life transformed your own personal health? So it took me a long time to believe that I needed to stop eating gluten, and I think that that's pretty common for a lot of people. It might have taken me two years to really go gluten-free 100%. And um, so that was a long process for me. But I think, you know, really was being at Rob's seminar and kind of hearing a few more pieces of my own puzzle that, you know, my blood sugar regulation wasn't great and I'm still eating grains, not too many of them, um, just because I'm, I'm honestly a pretty lazy cook and they take more time to prepare than I like to spend. So I like to joke that I have 10 minutes on Rachel Ray. Like, I will cook in 20 minutes. And if it can't be done in 20 minutes, then that's a commitment for me. Like, I have to really think about that. Um, So I, you know, I really noticed first my digestion changed. At the time, I really wasn't looking for weight loss. I really didn't have weight to lose. So my digestion just really started to even out. You know, fewer of those sort of emergency, oh, my goodness, I have to run to the bathroom things happening. Um, my, definitely, I used to have sinus infections every six weeks or so, and that has almost all stopped. Uh, I would say if I get sick once a year, maybe. Um, I'm actually shocked that I got through all the stress of book work and travel for the last, like, eight months without getting sick, but I think, you know, the nutrition has really been a huge part of that. But um, yeah, I mean, I just had a lot of sort of light bulbs, and it just made sense to me that we might follow something that was what our ancestors did. I remember back when um, I was younger and my sister became vegetarian, and I just I never thought that that was the right answer. I just, I always believed there was a, you know, a food chain or, you know, just that there was some sort of order to things. And, you know, while I totally understand why people get turned off from eating animal products for certain reasons, you know, I just always believed that that made sense. So this whole thing just really made sense to me, avoiding refined foods and keeping blood sugar in check, all that stuff. So it just clicked. And I have found that my health has been way more, I would say way more predictable, you know, like I know, you know what I mean? Like if I get sick, I sort of, understand why I got sick, you know, whether I wasn't Mm -hmm. sleeping enough and then I was traveling. It's it's a little bit less like, oh, my goodness, how did this happen? And it's very predictable, and I really don't – I don't know. I I just don't really fall ill in confusing unknown ways, I guess. Yeah, you're able to easily see, okay, oh, I felt really bad today. Well, it's probably because I had a little bit of something or other in the last meal. I I totally get that, yeah. Yeah, or I didn't sleep enough or, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you have a background in graphic design, and right because I can tell looking at this book, it's like <laughs> it's so pretty to look at. That's it's awesome, and you make this, you know, you you really take the paleo diet, and 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 I love how we have a very similar mindset in that. Yeah, we could talk about paleo diet all day long. Like, let's take out grains, let's take out dairy, let's take out like talk about all these things we have to take out. But no, let's really take like a health promotion standpoint, and really looking at food as medicine, and how can we maximize nutrition in our food and and make it very specific for the individual. And I just absolutely love that because I believe food is medicine. You can have nutrients and complete medicine on, on a plate every single time you eat. And so I love that. I love that you took this approach. What, what kind of got you into that, though? You know, because that's, that's a little unique in the whole paleo realm. The, like the visuals, you mean? 
No, just like the how well the visuals are beautiful, but of course, you know, you can look in here and just see how all the different healing foods you're using. I'm talking about just like yeah. the health promoting aspect of yeah. your cookbook. Well I think I think that's mostly a result of my education, you know, and then you know, that's really what Bowman College supports in terms of like the way that we approach working with our clients is let's support the body nutritionally to help it heal. As you were saying, you know, you were just talking about the naturopathic school. And it's the same kind of approach without some of the more advanced treatments that you might offer, but just with food, you know, and mm-hmm. what foods can support this body. And, you know, I think people will notice a lot of the meal plans have a lot of things in common because when you are not in optimal health, some very similar things tend to go wrong, you know, or some, you know, specific nutrients tend to be depleted that affect a lot of different parts of the body. So, that's really the foundation of, of what we learn in sort of a clinical application of nutrition. And I think what I find um, with my clients and with my colleagues, I have a lot of colleagues who will ask me about cases that they're working on. And I just find that, you know, for some, not for some reason, I mean, I guess, you know, they see me as a resource and I think that's fantastic. But what I end up saying to them nine times out of ten is, like, don't worry about the four conditions and 15 meds that the person is on. Focus on the food. You know, focus yeah. on getting them eating the right food because that's our job and that's what matters most. And whatever's going to happen with their medications and their condition will come as a result in time, you know, will improve with whatever you're doing with their diet and their lifestyle primarily. And then that's up to them to talk to their doctor or their naturopath or whoever about what to do with that. But I think, right. you know, as... As practitioners, we get really kind of like, oh, my goodness, this person is dealing with all these different things. And, it's, you know, it's important, and it's important for us to know, like as I outlined in the meal plan, it's important for us to know what nutrients are supported and where to get that in food, maybe when supplements would be useful, but not to worry that, you know, there's all these um, labels on the person already and, and just yeah. work with helping to support and heal the body. Mm-hmm. I remember getting so sidetracked when I was when I first graduated from naturopathic school and I had really, really complicated, complex patients coming in and all the meds they're on, all the symptoms they have, and I'm going, oh, my gosh, what do I do? What, all these pathways, all, thinking all these biochemical pathways and all the different supplements and nutrients I could use. And I really learned that, like you're saying, it doesn't matter how severe they are, you have to start with the basics. You have to make sure they're sleeping well, they're eating the right foods. Like, you have to. Get, they're well hydrated, and so often we just get so sidetracked with that. So I love that this is providing such a foundation. Excuse my dog barking. <laughs> my my exactly. cat was scratching at my, you know, at the door before. I was like, oh, goodness, I hope that's not too loud. He, he, maybe he ate some liver because now he's running around crazy. Is that paleo kitty? Paleo Kitty, when he gets his hit of B vitamins from eating liver, he starts darting around the house. Is your cat named Paleo Kitty, though? No, his name is Mason, but we call him Paleo Kitty. I swore his name was Paleo Kitty this whole time. It's awesome. Well, Um, I mean. Yeah. I should call my dog Paleo Dog. She eats all raw food. Her food is, like, primal, so she's a little cave mm -hmm. dog, but. (laughs) <laughs> so your book, why did you decide to focus on digestive health and, and blood sugar regulation as, as the main topic that you use? Um, well, so when I work with my clients one-on-one or when I teach about this stuff in the workshop, I really find that those are the two areas that, you know, we can affect the most change and the two things that people can really connect with most in terms of, like, their own, 
you know, choices every day and how they feel as a result of their food choices. So um, the first thing I tend to really work on, and I, I didn't really put it in this order in the book. I, I really wrote about digestive health first and then blood sugar second. But when I work with people, I always start with blood sugar regulation. I look at their um, their food logs and see, you know, how many times a day are they eating, what type of balance of food are they eating, and, you know, or how are they feeling going into each meal. And that's kind of the that's kind of the report card, you know. If they they're going into each meal feeling like they're starving and they could eat anything in sight and they're eating six or eight times a day, then I start talking to them about you know eating a little bit more food and maybe getting some more protein and fat in at the meal. And you know that's not to say that some people can't eat you know higher carb diets and feel great, but for the average person, either eating a standard American diet or something that's you know conventionally considered healthy. They're coming from a place of, you know, real nutrient deficiency, and we need to get the most nutrient-dense foods in, and we need to get really satiating foods in. Um, and it really sets the stage for the whole day, starting with breakfast. So the example that I use in the book is really, you know, an example of a, a meal for breakfast where it all begins. Um, so it's kind of like I know there are a lot of people out there who are, just, you know, breakfast is the most important meal of the day, and some people say skip breakfast and you should fast, back and forth, and the way that I really wanted to write this book is to present it to people who basically aren't already paleo and make it really easy for them to understand. Because if you already eat this way, if you're already, you know, very well adapted to burning fat for fuel, like, I don't need to tell you how to plan your day. You know, I, there's recipes in here and there's a lot of information for those people, but I want the people who are really, like, off the rails to just understand this from a really basic, you know, here's how this feels all day long, and they can really identify themselves in those stories. Um, and then the other side of that is the digestive health, because I don't know what percentage you might say you see in your clinic, but I think I would say at least half, if not more, of the people I work with or that I talk to in the workshops or on my Facebook page who are dealing with um, issues of digestive distress, maybe about half of them have GI symptoms. So, you know, gas mm-hmm. bloating or belching or reflux or diarrhea or IBS. You know, a lot of people experience that, but I wouldn't say it's everyone. So a lot of people are dealing with chronic inflammatory conditions as a result of impaired digestive function, and they just mm-hmm. don't know it. They just don't know that it has anything to do with their digestion. Um, this, yeah. is, this was pretty apparent uh, I just spoke at the Juvenile Arthritis Foundation Conference, which was, like, one of the most amazing days of my life. And, mm. I mean, that whole thing just gave me so much perspective. And I, I wish that I could have stayed longer. I had other, like, time commitments. But um, I got to speak to young adults, so 18 to 30, and most of them had never even heard that something about nutrition could affect their pain in a positive way. Like, if they changed their food, they might feel better. Most of them had never even heard that. And Mm -hmm. it was, I mean, it gave me that pit in my stomach feeling, but it also made me feel like there's so much opportunity there. You know, I try and always, I do try and look at the bright side of things. Like, wow, you know, they're really, their ears are open. You know, they know what inflammation is. They know what a chronic inflammatory condition is and what autoimmunity is. They're dealing with it every day. And they've been dealing with it since they're a little kid. But then we've got, and I'm sure, you know, you see this too, we've got people who come to us and they're just talking about maybe some psoriasis or some eczema or migraines or, you know, mood swings. And they don't realize that the food they're eating can be affecting that so profoundly. So that's why I really wanted people 
to try and understand this, um, you know, from a top-down approach, how does digestion work? What is leaky gut? How do you fix it? You know, if you have a leaky gut, like I think that's a really big thing that we we talk about that a lot. Like we say, you know, heal a leaky gut, and people just have no idea what that even means. Right. So what do I do? Right. So I have a whole sort of one-page guide, and and I'm sure you know when you look at it, you're like, yeah, this is what we know as practitioners. But most people are never given like, here's the protocol. Here's what you're doing, right. and what we do with a paleo diet is sort of like the first step of healing a leaky gut. We remove a lot of the irritants, but, you know, taking those next steps to, you know, repair and re-inoculate and reintroduce foods is not always something that we talk about. So right. I really wanted to put that, yeah, to put that in a way that people could get their hands on um, easily. Well, my very favorite thing to talk about with patients is poop. Like, I just light up. I love talking about poop. I, I'm kind of known as the poop doctor, I think. <laughs> I just love to talk about it. So there's this whole, you have a whole page of pictures of types of poop. Can you tell us a little yeah. bit about that? Yeah. So this is, like, completely inspired, and I like to give credit where credit is due, completely inspired by the um, chart in Paul Check's book, How to Eat and Be Healthy. And I really wanted to bring that chart in some form to this community. And so I had an illustrator completely from scratch draw this, and I, I joke that um, – I joke that it was like her crappiest job to date. Oh, I'm so funny. <laughs> um, but she, I mean, she had a really great time working on it, and uh, she actually did all of the illustrations in the book. But I just, you know, I've done this in the seminars for a long time, and I think it's important that people understand what's happening in the toilet because that's, you know, outside of your blood sugar regulation and maybe whatever symptoms you have, right? Some of these inflammatory symptoms. This is one of your other report cards, like, how am I doing? Did I digest that food well? Do I even have a chance at getting all of the nutrients out of what I just ate or not, right? So, um, you know, partially it's just funny, so people want to look at it and then read it. Um, I just think it's really important that people understand why their eliminations might look a certain way. Um, For some people, you know, these are chronic. So if you've got an issue, for example, with um, not being able to digest fats properly and you maybe have some gallbladder malfunction or you're just eating way too many of the wrong kinds of fats and your eliminations are constantly either um, green or very light in color, you know, this isn't the kind of thing like what's happening on the chart. It's not like once in a blue moon something comes out looking a little different. It's, it's just happening very often. So if you see this often, it's like, wow, what a great way to sort of self assess what's happening um, and really make some changes based on that. So mm-hmm. I think it's a I think it's a really great tool for people and I just yeah, I'm like you. I love talking about poop. I just think it's important and I don't know, people just don't talk about it enough. I bet your illustrator learned a lot about her own poop. I don't know who your illustrator I, is, I'm just saying <laughs> I bet. Her name's Alex and she was so amazing working on this and <laughs> patient because, I mean, we did have to sort of readdress some of this, like the, the one who's the show-off, you know, uh-huh. she's got the pieces of, like, corn and kale, the things that right. sometimes we don't fully digest. I mean, that, I, I just can't help but crack up every time I look at it, but, yeah, we had to kind of tweak some of these, and it was pretty funny having to tell her, okay, can, can you add more corn? <laughs> right. <laughs> it was, you get it was more really corn to my poop, out. please. 
I love Miss Rocky. She's pretty hilarious. She looks kind of dry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really funny. And I think, um, you know, we have, like, the clinical application of this in the Bristol stool chart, but the Bristol stool chart actually doesn't really tell you what's going on when this stuff comes mm -hmm. out looking a certain way. At least I haven't seen that. It just kind of charts and gives you a way to show maybe a doctor or practitioner, like, what your eliminations normally look like, right? And it's a mm -hmm. scale of, there might be, uh, what do I have here, seven different types. I think there's more on that chart but it's just not a very fun way to address it. So I really I really wanted to bring this to people in a, yeah. in a different make it way. Fun. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. So for those of you just listening, we are talking to Diane Sanfilippo. She's the author of Practical Paleo. If you'd like to call in and ask a question, 818-495-6919. That's 818-495-6919. So tell us a little bit about um, the meal plans that you put together in your book. So um, one of the main things I wanted to do with this book was to take away some of the some of the excuses and some of the barriers that people have, especially when they're dealing with different types of health conditions around, you know, why they why they can't do this, you know, why they can't figure out what to eat, or you know, just just feeling like they're kind of lost, especially if they've either been giving a been given a diagnosis very recently and, like, freaking out somehow, you know, oh, my doctor said I have Hashimoto's, I don't know what that means, what am I supposed to do? Um, or if it's, you know, a family member or a friend, somebody that you just want to support, you may buy this book and you may be pretty healthy and use the recipes and learn from the front section and the meal plans may or may not apply to you. But I think that it's just really important that people understand that there is always something that can be done to support your body. So I wanted to set it up so that people could have um, at least some basic information and whether or not they actually choose to follow my specific 30-day plan, which I would say at least 80% of the food in the plan are based on, you know, the meals are based on recipes in the book so that it is very um, self-contained, here's your plan, here's what you do, but but not to the point where somebody has to cook a specific recipe all the time if they don't want to. You know, sometimes it's just a spinach or salad, et cetera. Um, but I did set up different sections in each meal plan. Uh, it begins with diet and lifestyle recommendations where I recommend um, things to add and things to avoid, and that can include uh, points about movement, stress management, some other envir environmental toxins besides Food. Um, then there's a section on nutritional supplements and herbs to consider, and they're not written in a prescriptive way. They're just written as a, you know, here are some nutrients that you might want to think about and that may be beneficial in supplement form because potentially there's not enough in food or potentially this condition is something where more of that could be uh, beneficial. And, you know, it's mm -hmm. for each person to kind of read and maybe talk to a practitioner about or just use their own additional research um, and I think at the very beginning of the meal plan section, I have some references of some books that people can check out if they, you know, really looking at how to manage their own health. Um, and then the last section before the actual meal plan is a page that's called Supportive Nutrients and Foods That Contain Them. And that's really where I get into, you know, what are nutrients that these types of conditions are really, um, or people who have these conditions may really be lacking in or that may be extra supportive for their body systems that just aren't working optimally. And food, as I mentioned, that contain them. Because I think it's really important that people know, you know, what should I be eating? And I, I know for a fact that 
a vast majority of people who are given some kind of diagnosis, um, unless it's very specific uh, to where, you know, a doctor has some kind of handout. Like I've, I've seen maybe two or three types of conditions where a doctor will have a handout of uh, nutrition recommendations. Most of the time they're not that great from what I've mm-hmm. seen. Um, but this is the kind of thing where it's like, okay, now what? You know, so what do I eat? What do I do? And that's really what I wanted to give people this sort of, like, a little bit more hand-holding, um, more specific, and that's kind of where the, the subtitle of the book comes in, a customized approach to help and hold these life files. Like, if you want to customize a plan for yourself, this is where you go. You know, what are these, what are these little extras and nuances? And I really want people to start with the diet and lifestyle recommendations, the kind of overarching, because as we were just talking about, if you've got a person who comes in with different health conditions and they're not getting to sleep, they're not, you know, trying to work on their stress management, they're working 80 hours a week and doing all these other things that are just so depleting to the body, like we can't help you with food if your lifestyle is set up in a way that's so depleting. So it's very um, synergistic. You need to be doing more than one thing at a time and understanding that, you know, it's all about just getting your body back to where it can be, you know, optimally healthy. Right, right, exactly. And I know I, I hear from a lot of patients when they first come in, a lot of patients when they come to see me, they already know that I'm going to promote the paleo diet. A lot of them hear, hear me on the show. But if they just kind of walk in and don't know the deal and I put them on this type of diet, immediately it's like going to this, this lacking, like this, this thought of, of lack, like, oh, my God, all these mm-hmm. things I can't eat. I'm going to be this freak, and I'm going to be this person now who can never eat all these different things. But I like how, you know, the approach you have in the book is that, well, look at all these amazing healing foods that you can include in your diet. It's more of like, here's all the great things you can you can add to your diet to really help mm-hmm. promote your health and also make it specific based on a particular condition that you might have. So it's really, really awesome. Yeah, that's why I wanted it to also, like, you know, this thing is a monster. It was a big undertaking, and, you know, my publisher was like, uh, this was a lot, you know. <laughs> when he saw it all together, it was like, wow, you know, you really took on a lot. But I just wanted it to be all in one place. I always envision this project being in three parts, and I really wanted to give people as many recipes as possible. And also, you know, even if you don't have a specific health condition, I mean, if you flip through these recipes, it's just, I mean, real food is delicious and visually appealing, and that's all it's about, you know, eating real food. Well, my take is if you eat this way, you'll probably prevent from having a specific health condition. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for, for those people, for sure. I mean, that's, yeah. That's my goal with it. You know, for myself, autoimmunity is rampant in my family. And so that really keeps me, I'm one of those people who's like, you know, gluten is a never for me. So I don't ever knowingly eat gluten. I just don't care about it anymore. It's been so long. Yeah. Um, but I know that not everyone's like that, but I think it's really important. I know. I don't even notice it. I seriously don't even notice it. I'll go into a restaurant or like a bakery or like a deli or something, and I just automatically look at the things that I am used to having. I know I yeah. can have, and I'll, you know, if I bring a friend in with me, they're like, oh, my God, look at that. You can't eat that. And I'm like, wow, I didn't even notice it. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, and I also tell people, I'm like, well, I can. I just don't want to, you know. It's yeah. like I don't, I don't even want it anymore. It's, you know, it's almost like you're, you have this premonition because you know how it's going to make you feel, and it, it really does make you not want it anymore. It takes a long time for people to get there, but for sure. the it's taken a while. People, yeah, yeah, sure. people come to my, overnight. Yeah, people come to my workshops like 
I get a show of hands of how many people just don't care about bread anymore. And if they've been doing this for like a year, it's pretty much all of them. So I would say at least it takes at least a year to really not care about it anymore. And I think a lot of people um, get kind of far into eating this way and not eating grains and forget what it's like to have been on the other side and, and sort of lose their sense of compassion and patience for people who are just trying to learn. So, you know, that's really why I even have, like, sort of a guide to gluten in here because I do think gluten is really the most important thing to be avoiding and I want for people to understand, you know, where are we getting it from? Because most people know when they're eating rice. <laughs> you know, they know if they're eating quinoa or rice or beans. They don't always know when they're getting gluten in their diet. It's, it's and that's high. the most inflammatory one, which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. that's why that's kind of its own whole thing. But, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's take it to the phone lines. We've had a caller that's impatient. So this caller is from the 610, you're on Dr. Low Radio. What's your name and where are you calling from? Hello, caller from the 610, are you there? I am here, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. you. My name is uh, Andy from uh, Pennsylvania, and I just wanted to get your thoughts on uh, biochemical individuality and what your opinion is on on that. Sure. Um, I have worked with a lot of um, colleagues and other practitioners who kind of come to me with the same question, and um, a lot of them have studied from, you know, different nutrition schools and different perspectives. And my take is that there's definitely a place for it. I don't think that every person should be eating the same food. You know, we all have a different sort of uh, constitution, a different nutritional landscape. We've, you know, come from a different place of either sufficiencies or deficiencies, and I think that there's different strokes for different folks. But where I do draw, draw sort of a hard line is I don't think that refined food should be eaten by anyone. Um, I think that grains and beans are less nutrient-dense sources of nutrition. So while, you know, I would never say 100% that somebody couldn't be possibly healthy eating them, I don't think that most people are healthier for eating them. Um, I think that they're just better choices to make, especially given that we're probably coming from anywhere from 10 to 60 years of eating very nutrient-depleting foods. So we really want to be getting the most nutrient-dense foods in as possible. Um, And then from there, just really looking at, you know, is it that somebody is trying to, you know, hold on to certain foods and using that as kind of an excuse for it, you know, like, well, something different for everyone or everything in moderation. And I just don't buy that, you know. I definitely think there are different things for people, but I don't think that they're valid reasons for maybe eating less ideal foods. Does that make sense? Right. Because I'm I'm pretty big on, like, you know, metabolic typing and mm-hmm. blood typing. I've been doing it for eight years. I'm big on Weston A. Price stuff. Yeah. So, like, you know, like my percentages for my food would be, like, 54% carbohydrate, 33% protein, and 13% fat. Now, now for those carbs, I'm trying to make a shift right now and see how I feel. Do you think I can switch from, like, the brown rices and the quinoa to, like, fruits and veggies and, like, you know, maybe yeah. a little bit of sweet potatoes and yams? Yeah, I mean, that's one thing that I, I'm I'm pretty, you know, I gave some outlines in my book about carbohydrates that are made for the general public who's not been tinkering with this stuff for eight years as you have, right? So you're way more tuned into your body. You know 
what you can handle. I'm pretty macronutrient agnostic. I don't really care what your macronutrient ratio is. If you feel good eating that way, more power to you, whatever works for you. I do think that finding the foods that are the most nutrient-dense within those ratios will be your best bet, and I mean micronutrients, so vitamins, minerals, phytochemicals. So I have a chart in this book um, on paleo carbs, so grain and bean-free sources of carbohydrates. It does not focus on fruit because I think most people know that fruit is very high in carbohydrates, and you know that you can get carbs from fruit. But there are a lot of other plant foods, uh, roots and tubers and squash, those kinds of things that have significant amounts of carbohydrate and also significant amounts of micronutrients. So like a white potato, for example, not super high and a lot of micronutrients has some potassium, but pales in comparison to a sweet potato when we look at things like um, some other minerals and some you know, trace amounts of other vitamins, some carotenoids, those kinds of things. So I would definitely say if you're currently doing, you know, even the soaked and sprouted like Western price oriented grains and beans, shifting to something right. much more nutrient-dense, bioavailable nutrients, those that don't require as much processing ahead of time, like those processes are great when you're in a situation where you need to do that to get the most you can from your food, but we don't need to do that. Like we have very bioavailable nutrients um, through other types of plants, animal foods, um, et cetera. So, you know, I, I think it's definitely worth a try. It might be cool to track. I don't know how specific, like, Fit day or nutrition data, some of those may or may not be 100% like up to par on judging how much nutrition is in your food, but it might be cool to see what kind of vitamin and mineral content you get by making that switch um, and understanding that what, what you're getting from grain and bean products is a little bit less bioavailable. So even if it's listed, you may not be absorbing all of that. I think it's worth a shot. Right. No, because, because last year I actually made that shift and I, I, won't, I converted more on towards, like, you know, a, a paleo diet, but I still had, like, you know, my raw milk and my raw cheeses. I do very well on those. And, you know, I, I definitely got more more slimming cut. But when I added the brown rice back in and the quinoa, I balked up. Yeah, well, I mean, those are basically probably bigger sources of macronutrients without as many micronutrients. So you might need to eat more of them for satiety and be getting more calories potentially put on a little bit more weight. Um, I don't know whether or not you need to gain or lose weight. That's kind of, you know, that's something that I wouldn't know from this call. But, you know, I don't have anything against raw milk if you tolerate it well. I think it's a a perfectly healthy food. If you can get it from grass-fed cows locally, more power to you. Right. Do it. Yeah. Good question. Thank you. Yeah, well, you know, I, I just talk to other people, and, and you know, you know, some people just think that metabolic typing and blood typing—it's a good stepping stone. But I mean, what it comes down to is basically just eat real food. Yeah, I, I think that those are good tools for people who are starting out. Um, I don't think they're the end-all, be-all. I mean, there's no great prescription for every one person, other than, as you just said, to eat real food. Awesome. Thanks for now, your here, here's another question. Now, if somebody wanted to convert to, like, a higher protein and a higher fat, now, would it take, their, would it take time for their body to get used to and, and to uh, strengthen their immune system? Because you're going from somebody who, were, who was more of a carb, and now they're going more towards fat. So, you know, here, my question is basically, could you convert yourself to be a fat burner instead of a carb burner? 
Yeah, this isn't really an immune system question, but um, the one thing that might need to happen in terms of support is in the transitional period, um, the person may need to eat more calories because the body is a little bit confused as to um, how to burn fuel from fat on the body in this sort of transition period. So sometimes it takes eating um, a little bit more food, more calories, so that you're just getting that in and not hungry um, more often until your body is more adjusted to it. But I would say the bigger thing to, to take into consideration are um, possibly some digestive enzyme support to digest the extra fat and protein just to get your body used to it. So this is the same kind of advice I give to someone who's coming off of a vegan uh, diet or off of a vegetarian, very slim on the meat diet, um, where their body right. may not be used to those things. Um, and as long as they, you know, don't have a specific condition that would predispose them to not be able to digest fats or proteins appropriately, the body can come back to that without much, you know, much additional support. Yeah. All right, right got to move on. Thanks, Andy. Thanks for your question. All right. All right. So, good questions. Diane, let's see here. I have a few questions from Facebook. Well, let's see. This one actually was from your blog that you um, promoted the show, and it was somebody who had a comment. So this is from Kel, and she had a question about sleep. She said, I'm struggling with insomnia for the last couple years, and it's really taking a toll on me. I want to sleep so badly, and I just can't stay asleep. I do everything right. My diet is pretty much perfect. Go to bed in a dark room about 9.30 or 10, and sometimes even fall asleep. But no matter what, I'm back up and unable to fall back asleep at 1 a.m. My doctor has had me on every sleeping pill known to man, and although... I was super reluctant to take medicine. I am also quite desperate for some sleep. Nonetheless, nothing has worked. So, ideas. <laughs> Ooh. So, well, um, first off, I want her to get tested for a parasite because I see this all the time with patients with parasites. That that would be the first thing that would pop in my head. But do you have any other ideas? Yeah, that's something that I've definitely heard a lot too. That um, they tend to like wake up and be active overnight, right? So that can mm-hmm. that can wake people up, um, jumpstart your cortisol as a response to that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is something that, you know, if she's working with medical doctors, I would definitely recommend that she work with someone like you or some other kind of naturopath or someone who can do diagnostic testing. Um, I also have some colleagues who are, just, who are nutrition consultants um, who work remotely a lot who can help with this kind mm-hmm. of thing. But... She says, I'm trying to see for the last couple of years. So I don't know if her diet has been changed for that long. She hasn't really mm-hmm. said, um, you know, what she's eating right. or how long she may have changed her food. So really the first things that I look at, obviously, are diet. So how much sugar is she taking in on a regular basis? How much caffeine? Is caffeine coming in um, after lunchtime? Or if this is really a chronic issue, like any caffeine at all, because that stuff can, the half-life of caffeine is very long. So it can be in your bloodstream. You know, you might drink it at 9 in the morning. It could still be affecting her that late. So that's a really big possibility. I think we're pretty dismissive of it sometimes, myself included. Um, So, I, you know, I want for people to really pay attention to those things. And then outside of that, I mean, and you might know some some about this too, um, Dr. Lowe, but, like the Chinese medicine charts that generally show us different types of um, organ functions that are associated with different times of day. And I thought mm-hmm. that around that time was like liver function. I think here. I'm I can't remember that. exactly, but that was kind of the first thing that came to mind. So whether it's yeah, something for diet where she's doing too much with sugar 
um, getting well, any between, caffeine that's in. gallbladder and liver. So 11 to 1 is gallbladder, and then 1 to 3 is liver. So, yeah. Okay, so, so that's just, you know, do some diagnostic testing, maybe see if there's some kind of, you know, parasite or some kind of other infection going on. And then I would really focus on, you know, support for the liver and gallbladder, like maybe working on taking some ox bile or digestive enzymes uh, with meals during the day and seeing if that helps. Because if it's your liver that needs support, you know, there might also be some detox that needs to be done. I know there's some herbal support for that, um, like milk thistle and, you know, some other ways of drinking, like herbal teas, not necessarily with caffeine. So, you know, those are really the ideas that I have. And I say that because I don't know what the answer yeah. is, but, you know, we have ideas around what commonly causes this, right? So sometimes as simple as just having some protein before bed, because for a lot of, a lot of my patients, they have such crazy blood sugar fluctuations that they're either they're they're eating you know two let's say they stop eating at six or seven o'clock and their blood sugar isn't staying stable because their metabolism is so screwed up. Just having a little bit of protein before bed, oftentimes it, it just keeps them asleep. So I tell Kel to try that. Yeah, if you're, if you're I do the Kel. same thing. Yeah, I do the yeah. same thing. I usually tell them protein and some starch. So I don't know mm-hmm. if that's um, good or bad, but maybe uh, there were just some ideas around that with like just. I don't know, getting some tryptophan into the brain or I don't know if that's yeah. just kind of a nutritional wives' tale. Um, but people seem to do okay with that too. So, yeah, I mean, I think people get worried about eating before bed, like it's bad or whatever, but it's, I think it's worse to wake up and not be able to go back to sleep. So I, I think know. that can be really helpful. Now, I love how in your book you have a lot of different tips. Um, it's really practical, hence the title. But, you know, tips for those who are eating um, maybe on a budget or eating out, like tips if you're eating out at restaurants. Um, and I, this was a question that was kind of related to that. So it says, hi, Diane and Dr. Lowe. I love your shows. I'm a big fan. I've been on the, I'm on the road most days out of the year for work. And I have to be honest, I tend to eat fast foods. I find that it's easy for me to, to eat healthy when I'm at home, but once I travel, I have a hard time sticking to the plan. Do you have any tips for travelers? That's from Justin on Facebook. Well, Justin, is Justin? Yeah. I think like 50% of my life is on the road right now. So um, I don't pretty much end up eating fast food. I can't really say that that happens. So um, basically I did write a whole section in the book about this. Um, But when I wrote this section, I essentially just wrote down what I do. So here's what I do, um, which is how I – wrote the whole thing on restaurants, too. It's like, here's how I go out to eat. Um, So what I do is, for the most part, I plan ahead. Um, I like to stock in my suitcase, in my carry-on, wherever, something like um, Paleo Kiss. I'm a really big fan of their uh, sticks. They've got, um, it's just mostly protein, because protein tends to be the hardest thing to find on the road. Uh, You can usually find something like just plain almonds, you know, either raw or roasted, whatever, pretty easy to find that, pretty easy to find guacamole or avocado in terms of fat sources, um, but protein is the hardest one to find. So I tend to carry those. Those can be carried, you know, in carry-on bags in your luggage. Um, things that can be put into a chest bag, and then like cans of salmon, and I think Trader Joe's, and I'm sure some other brands of wild salmon have like the pop top. So you don't need to carry a can opener for those. This is like seriously how detailed I get with my planned food. Um, but we've also got options for things like packets of coconut butter, packets of almond butter, coconut oil that you can get. 
um, for the most part, it's all about just planning ahead and then just knowing within the scope of what you consider food, you know, what are the options. So, like, I, you know, this isn't to be elitist, but I just don't consider McDonald's an option. Like, it's just not an option because at this stage in the game, I don't know where Justin's traveling. So that may be a little bit different. If You know, if I were traveling to a really remote area, I would carry as much food as I needed to on me to be able to eat and not worry about it. But when I go places normally, there's a Whole Foods or there's a Trader Joe's or there's some kind of grocery store where I can get really simple ingredients. There's usually cut-up fruit, salsa, as I said, guacamole, um, or you can buy just buy an avocado and mash it with a plastic fork. Mm-hmm. It's really not that complicated if you just shift your perspective and change the way you think about the whole thing. So rather than seeing this as like an excuse to eat something that's less ideal, just looking at it as, okay, here's my first mission. When I get somewhere, I need to find a place that has some good food. I'll ask for, you know, a refrigerator in my hotel room. Every hotel has many refrigerators they can offer because there are people with, you know, who are diabetic who need to be storing insulin. And it's something that every single hotel has. They may give you a hard time. Just tell them that you have your food allergies and you need it. No big deal. And they shouldn't charge you for it. But they do have them. And it's just, it's not as complicated when you just change the way you look at what's available and plan ahead a little bit. And I think, like, for me, stuff like paleo kits has been, obviously, it's like a lifesaver in the last year or so. Mm-hmm. I do travel so much, and I just don't want to worry that I'm not going to have something. Um, mm-hmm. I have a whole list of, like, protein, fat, carbohydrate options when you're on the road. And I think I've noted on most of them, like, kind of what's carry-on safe what's not, and for the most part, anything that's liquid or semi-liquid, like uh, guacamole, as long as you have it in a sealed container that's three ounces or less and it's marked on the container that it's a three-ounce container or two-ounce or whatever, it's not a problem. People get really confused about being able to travel with food. You can you can definitely travel with food. You can travel with a small container of olive oil. As long as it's that small three ounces or less and you put it in the little bag, it's not a problem. So food is not. Yeah, it's totally worth it. It's so worth it. It's it's not like it's it's worth all of the struggle because you end up feeling so good, <laughs> and it just becomes like second nature. Yeah. Like I'm sure for you, you don't even really see it as a hassle anymore. You're just used to it, right? It's just it's honestly like it's so nerdy of me, but I love finding the grocery store wherever I go and poking around and being like, what do they have here and what are the options? And, yeah, sometimes it's less ideal. Sometimes it's not as great as, you know, Whole Foods is really easy, right? I can I can find really clean ingredients and, and things that I'm familiar with. But I like the challenge of looking at just whatever grocery store and seeing what, what other people are faced with all the time in different parts of the country. And then I come back and I still say the same thing. It's still not that hard to find meat and vegetables. Right. You know, it's, it's just not. So, But I have a bunch of ideas. Like I know I'm, I'm kind of you know, making it sound, like, really easy. I have a bunch of ideas in the book of, you know, all kinds of options for people. So. Yeah, so Justin, check out the book. You'll get all kinds of good ideas. And for those who just tuned in, we're talking to Diane Sanfilippo from BalancedBites.com. She is the author of Practical Paleo, which you can now get on Amazon as pre-order, right? It's released on August 7th, is that right? Yep, yep. So exciting. Uh, a couple more questions. And by the way, callers, we have a, probably a few more minutes for calls if you want to call in 818 495 6919. It's 818-495-6919. And Diane, do you have any tips how to eat paleo on a budget? I get that question a lot. 
Um, I generally tell people, well, <laughs> yeah, I get this question a lot too. And, of course, there's a whole section on this in the book as well. Um, I generally tell people, like, first of all, again, again with the idea of sort of changing their perspective. Um, so this is for some people, not everyone, but for some people, they actually have the money. They're just not appropriating it to food. They're mm-hmm. spending it on, you know, expensive cable, expensive phone package. Um, you know, they've got a fancy car. They live in a big house. And that doesn't mean that, like, tomorrow they're going to sell all their stuff and start eating, you know, 100% grass-fed organic, yada, yada, yada. But really, you have to really look at where you're spending your money and what's most important to you. So I think when people make this transition and, I think for the most part when people start eating more meat that than maybe they used to, they're not buying, you know, really cheap boxes of pasta anymore and they're buying more steaks, then they start to realize, like, oh, real food might cost more than this, like, refined nutrient-depleted food. Um, and it, it occurs to them, too, that they might want to get the better quality. And so that's when the sort of, like, budget concern comes up. So that's for some folks, that's what I say is, you know, look at where you're spending your money. Um, I know that for myself and a lot of other people who I'm friends with in the paleo community, you know, currently I live at home, but the last couple of apartments I was in, I was consistently trying to downsize or at least down price. You know, I went from living in a place that was almost twice as much to a smaller place that cost half as much because I quit my job and wanted to eat good food, but just couldn't afford everything, right? So that was the call that I made. Like, this is what I have to do. No big deal. Um, So that's for some people. For other people who really are, you know, living at their means and below as much as possible, you know, they're not not just kind of (laughs) making an excuse here. And there are definitely some people who are dealing with that. I always tell them to focus on um, quality thoughts first. Because when you focus on quality fats first, you're getting a lot of nutrient density in the fats, especially something like grass-fed butter or ghee, and you're getting tons of vitamins and minerals in there, as, as well as a lot of calories, which are not a bad thing. Um, and I like for people to focus on protein next. So if they're budgeting and they're like, I have X amount to spend, I would love for somebody to buy grass-fed butter, and then maybe they don't buy the grass-fed steak because you're getting a really concentrated source of all of those vitamins and minerals in the butter, and then the next step would be the meat. And so with the meat obviously comes fat when you're buying it in certain ways. Um, And then after that, I say produce. So if you can't buy organic fruits and vegetables, you know, I really want you to be focusing on, you know, the grass-fed butter, the high-quality fats. Most people don't buy tons and tons of fats to be using, so it's just a couple of things here and there. Um, if you're buying really good quality bacon and you're on a budget, you save all of the fat. If you buy it from a farm, you save all of the fat. This is stuff that your grandmother and great-grandmother would have taught you about, you know, penny pinching because I know for a fact my grandmother, um, my dad's mom, she absolutely would never have thrown any of that stuff away. I mean, that was like, you are going to cook the next meal in that because why would you get rid of that? You just spent good money on it. You don't throw it away. Mm-hmm. So. I think those are just some of the tips. Like, in terms of, um, you know, specific things to buy, there are less expensive cuts of grass-fed meat, so, like, stew cuts or roasts that can last a long time, and um, or whole chickens versus chickens that are cut up, uh, whole produce versus pre-cut. And, you know, 
I'm all for the stuff that's going to make it easier for people to eat whole foods. So if that means they need to buy pre-cut broccoli and they can afford it, fine. You do lose some nutrition when you pre-cut things, but you also spend more money on it too. So it's money or time, usually. I'm going to want people to start um, changing their perspective around how much time they spend in the kitchen because a lot of people kind of come to me and be like, well, I'm, I'm doing this and I'm trying it, but I'm finding that I'm a slave to the kitchen. I'm spending all this time in there. And I'm like, well, what's so bad about that? You know, I mean, of course, it's easy for me to say because I love to cook, but I think that people need to embrace it and start to love it if they maybe didn't before and, you know, partially love the process, maybe get more of the family involved, and then start to love what comes of it, you know, the health that it brings and and the sort of um, ease of control you have over your own health when you're cooking your own food. Yeah, and I love you um, have so much uh Beautiful recipes. You have so many beautiful recipes in here with gorgeous uh, photos. And, and, you know, I've cooked a couple things in here, to be honest with you, and they're really, really delicious. And uh, But with the recipes, you actually can tailor them based on a particular condition or a food sensitivity. Can you tell us a little bit about what you did with that? Yeah, sure. Um, So I just found that a lot of people were asking me questions um, through the Facebook page and seminars and, uh, you know, how do I do this either an autoimmune protocol or they tell me they're sensitive to uh, nightshades or FODMAPs or whatever they're sensitive to. And I just, again, coming back to this whole cooking and, you know, having fun in the kitchen thing, I just was like, well, it's really not that hard to make substitutions in most recipes. Like some recipes, sure, are based on a certain ingredient and changing it really just isn't right. But even something like salsa, you know, if you can't eat tomatoes or peppers or um, any kind of nightshades, I have salsa done five different ways. And I don't make it with um, jalapeno, so you can have your salsa without any, you know, hot pepper. Uh, you can make it with cucumber or mango or pineapple. And, you know, there's just options. There's, there are always options in the whole, like, landscape of all of the foods that we can be eating. So I really wanted um, people to just understand it and, and almost see it a little bit from that different perspective because, you know, when I'm cooking something like a stew and I've had people ask me, well, you know, this recipe calls for tomatoes, like to me it's second nature to say, well, just use broth instead. You know, don't bother with the tomatoes. But I know a lot of people don't have that same intuition around cooking, and I wanted to make it easy for people to just, you know, have it called out when there's an ingredient that maybe they need to avoid or what they can use instead. So Mm -hmm. that's something that primarily it's with the nightshades and the FODMAP. Um, I think... For the most part, if there are nuts in something, somebody usually knows they can just leave out the nuts. I don't, I don't know if I have a lot of um, call-outs for that because the nightshades mm-hmm. and the FODMAPs tend to be more like central ingredients. And then eggs, I only have a handful of recipes that include eggs, um, a couple of baked items, and um, a couple of egg recipes. And for the most part, like, I don't cook food that requires, like, spreading and battering, I, I really just have a handful of recipes that, that call for eggs, so mm-hmm. a largely egg-free cookbook. And you have a lot of uh, little extras in this book, a lot of cool little cutout things that people can take. Tell us a little bit about those. Yeah, so what I did was um, a lot of the food guides that are some of the most popular things on my website that people download as a PDF for free on the website currently have been updated in the book. And um, so we have, like, new versions of everything, a little bit more extensive. 
And what I did was I had um, with all of the food guides, so not like the digestion leaky gut, not those guides because I want those, you know, just in the book. You don't really need that on your fridge per se. Um, but all of the food guides have been reprinted as tear-outs in the back of the book. So when you do tear them out, you don't lose them. They're still in the book. Don't worry. Um, but I do want people to, to take them out and hang them on the fridge or hang them in the office or somewhere um, and just, you know, make use of them. And I don't want them to just sit in the book where somebody can't use it every day. Um, and so I'm tearing mine out right now. <laughs> putting okay. it on the fridge right you, now. <laughs> you should have a magnet that came with your book. Oh, I do have a magnet. Yeah, that's for the guide. Yeah. So magnet doesn't come with everybody's book, unfortunately. I tried to do a lot with this book, and it's not something well, I can do. I will have a yeah, I will have a link to where people can buy one if they want to. I just thought they were cute to make, and they're pretty strong magnets. So, um, but so the you know the some of the most popular guides like the guide to paleo carbs, the guide to gluten. Actually, on the guide to gluten, there's a little um, the bottom corner of it you can cut out and carry as like a wallet card. Um, there's a guide to food quality, a guide to cooking fast, which has been one of the most popular guides. Um, yeah, so nice. I, I think these I are it. what people find, yeah, really, really useful when they're just kind of putting things into practice. Sweet. Flipping through it right now. I just put it on my fridge as we are Cool. Speaking. And on that... Um, the Paleo Foods Guide also has, like, highlighted or um, bolded items for nightshades and then, you know, different little notes on there. So that's kind of like a grocery list between the Paleo Foods list and the Stocking and Paleo Pantry. Those two mm-hmm. are almost like shopping lists. So I just wanted people to have on there, you know, if they're supposed to be avoiding nightshades, it's in bold, which are the nightshades. You know, if they're supposed to be avoiding um, FODMAPs or goitrogens, which don't talk about the goitrogens too much, but generally people with a thyroid condition um, avoid them or at least, you know, don't eat tons of them raw. Um, that's just something that, you know, again, as a practitioner, I wanted to call it out because I work with people who are like, so-and-so told me I can't eat this, but what, which foods are those? They just have no idea. I just mm-hmm. wanted it kind of all in, all in one plate. Totally. If you don't have to keep repeating yourself, you're like, read my book. I <laughs> know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, but who would have guessed? Hey, it's all good. Actually, you can't actually fit everything you know into one book. In case anyone was wondering, this is a lot of it. Uh, it yeah. couldn't fit everything. Okay, well, you've we're, we appreciate all the hard work you put into it. And for you guys listening, check out Amazon.com. Is that where you're sending people to to buy the book? Yeah, you can go to Amazon, um, BarnesandNoble.com, and uh, local stores will have it starting August 7th. Um, Barnes and Noble stores and some other like whatever um, you the guys standard check out, check out Diane's website balancebites.com and then what's next for you Diane? Oh what's next? Well this fall is kind of all about workshops and kind of a I guess a book tour you know I'll be doing some book signings I've got the release party um, August 7th in San Francisco and mm-hmm. there's a link to that on my website people can RSVP for that and a couple of other book signing events, and I'll be at AHS again this year. Sweet. And, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of all over the place. More studying, more are. teaching, more of everything. Yeah. Sounds like a good life to me. You have passion about what you do. You get paid to do it. I love it. Yeah. Fun. Well, I look forward to seeing you in Boston. Thanks so much for being on my show, Diane. I love your book. I'm going to have it at the clinic for patients to flip through, and then I'm going to send them to the website so they can start buying it, and I want to carry it at the clinic, so we'll have to get a bunch awesome. of them. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. 
All right, girl. Well, well thank you. you. Have a fabulous night. Great to have you, and I'll see you in Boston. Sounds good. Take care. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. All right, guys, that's the show. Thanks for listening. Check out next week's show with Dr. Pamela Jean. We're going to be talking all about naturopathic medicine, really taking it back to the roots. So if you are interested in naturopathic medicine or holistic medicine, nutrition, herbal medicine, check out next week's show. I think you'll really, really like it. Thanks so much for listening. Check me out, drlaurennoel.com. I'm at Bloom Natural Health at bloomnaturalhealth.com, and I will check you guys next week. Bye. Progressive presents Get Pumped, inspiration to help you do insurance stuff. Okay, time out. You're going to let your budget be the boss of you? Take control with Progressive's Name Your Price tool. Tell us what you want to pay for car insurance, and we'll help you find options that fit your budget. Here's some music to get you pumped. I hear your budget laughing at you. Oh, wait, that's just those kids laughing at me. Ignore them! Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.